He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 5 The Daily Planet After the thwarted takeover of the Trade Center, Lois Lane's front page headline read, Superman Saves the Day. For all of her mocking of the angel of Metropolis, Lois had become a true believer. Throughout their lunch, she insisted there were no words to describe it. All the while, she used every word she could think of as she recounted her meeting with Superman. Clark made a half-hearted attempt to tease her for her sudden reverse of attitude. I thought you had a problem writing articles about angels. Oh, poor Clark. You have no idea. This wasn't some lights and mirrors parlor trick. And he wasn't an angel either. He was... he was something else. Jimmy wasn't paying attention to Lois, being rather engulfed in his own photos of Superman stopping the terrorists. I'm still not sure I picked the right image to go to print. As though Jimmy had been listening, Clark made a feeble attempt to defend himself. He didn't understand how it was that Lois was able to provoke him so easily. You know, I didn't call him an angel in my articles either. Yes, Clark, but you were also clearly dancing around the word and you didn't know what to call him. I fixed that, you see? Superman, it's done. Bam, that's what you call him. She wasn't wrong. The name was picked up by everyone and Clark admittedly liked it. He remembered hearing Martha first use the term to describe him, and it seemed to go well with the S shape of his family crest. Overall, Lois's enthusiasm was amusing. The best part of her new admiration for Superman was that Perry had taken Clark off the story. Lois dwelled on the matter with smug satisfaction. Perry said you should probably read my article a few times, get a better sense of how it's done. He's probably regretting bringing you up to the big league. But even Lois seemed to feel bad for saying this. She gave Clark a reassuring pat before falling back on her new favorite subject. <sighs> he really was something else. You know, Superman? I mean, you had to be there. I guess that's what's wrong with your articles, Clark. They were totally imaginary. Clark sputtered a futile defense for himself. Well, not totally. I interviewed people. Nice try, Kent. But it's time to step aside and let the pros do the job. Clark didn't mind her bragging. He no longer had to write those awful stories about himself. Yet their damage had already been done. Perry White wanted Clark to work under another writer's guidance to help him improve his reporting. It seemed a little demeaning at first, but compared to the journalists assigned to mentor him, Clark considered himself rather immature. He appreciated the guidance of working under Ron Traup. Trapp was a pragmatic, no-nonsense senior reporter that was used to constant resistance. He often remarked to Clark that the only reason why he was a highly respected black man was because he fought every step of the way for that respect. This system's built to keep people like you and me down. It's on us to work that much harder to prove them wrong. Us? Ron cocked his head back at the question and carefully looked Clark over. Okay, I see you passing with those purdy eyes, but you know what I'm saying. 
Clark considered Ron's suggestion, and though he had no doubt in what Ron was describing, he knew his own experiences as an outsider probably weren't what Ron would expect. Instead, Clark simply nodded in agreement. Ron had the spirit of an activist and many unconventional methods of finding sources. Clark got to learn many of them firsthand. Put to the task of researching a story, Clark had been working in the office alone all morning when Lois came in bragging about a new prize to congratulate herself for. Her next assignment practically guaranteed her a prominent spot on the front page. She had been handpicked to interview Lex Luthor, the founder of LexCorp and father of modern Metropolis. Lois left the office with a strut that morning, but was practically stomping when she returned in the afternoon. The whole interview was nothing more than a glorified press release. He only requested her in particular because she had written the story about Superman stopping the terrorists, and now Luther expected her to write a formal invitation for Superman to meet with him. He is so full of himself, he wants to sell this as some kind of meeting of the Superman. Can you believe the nerve of this guy? He wouldn't even consider hearing my questions. He just goes around acting like he owns the city, puts his name on everything, starts calling himself the most powerful man in the world. What a joke. I can't even believe I thought I was actually going in for an interview. Clark wasn't surprised to hear this. He had been researching Lex Luthor all that day ever since Lois mentioned him. The LexCorp name was on everything in the city, and yet somehow it managed to keep its name clean. Clark suspected Luthor was as clean as the pristine buildings of Metropolis. When he investigated his own apartment complex, there were always dead ends wherever LexCorp would be involved. It wasn't big stuff at the time, but Clark began wondering what would unravel if he began pulling at that thread. The next day, to both Lois and Clark's dismay, Lex Luthor had a coordinated media release with stories in every outlet. All the publicity centered around a live broadcast of Luthor thanking Superman for saving lives and ensuring that the trade agreement went through. He made some boast about men of their stature and then invited Superman to meet with him at his penthouse home at LexCorp Tower. The segment ended with an uncomfortable close-up of Luthor smiling. It would be a shame if you didn't make it. His predatory stare dragged on as the LexCorp logo flew across his face, leaving a bad taste in Clark's mouth. There was a ruthlessness about Luther that made his invitation sound like an ultimatum. Yet the affluent billionaire hadn't mentioned any date or time for them to meet. So Clark didn't make it an immediate priority. He thought he might wait a day or so. Any time seemed just as good as any other. Yet the following day proved too busy for a meeting. An explosion at a major metropolis power plant had led to blackouts and fires around the city. Clark was kept busy well through the night and far into the next day. His newfound ability to fly was put to the test as his help was needed all around the city. Being Superman's first experience working in coordination with firefighters and other rescue workers, he found a deep admiration for them. They all did so much, and none of them had superpowers. The respect was more than mutual. The rescue workers were grateful that Superman could fly into the fire and bring everyone out. When the last of the disaster was under control, he returned to the Daily Planet in the late afternoon. Clark was behind in a story that Ron had him working on and needed to put some time into it. As he sat down, Lois slumped back from her desk and started complaining about Luther. Until then, Clark had managed to completely block Lex Luther out of his mind. I still can't believe it. I mean, that was my second front page story. But it was like, a totally hollow win. He let me think I was doing some kind of exclusive interview. Even if it was on his terms, I thought it was still my story. I feel so used. Clark could relate. Meeting Luther felt like an obligation he would rather avoid altogether. He was busy enough meeting his deadlines and being Superman, and saw no reason to hurry to Luther's bidding. Only days later, 
While flying near LexCorp Tower with little else going on, did Superman finally stop by to pay Lex Luthor a visit? Luthor could not possibly have been expecting him, but when Superman landed on the LexCorp penthouse balcony, Luthor casually sat, drink in hand, ready to greet him. He relaxed on a couch, facing wide doors opening out onto the balcony. Superman, so glad you could make it. Welcome. Come on in. Can I get you a drink? No, thank you. Well, have a seat. Clark was reluctant. He hadn't yet found capes to lend themselves to sitting. I'll stand. Thanks. Luther paused for a moment, reassessing his guest. No, of course not. Luther stood up immediately, leaving his drink on the coffee table. Let us start with introductions. I, of course, am Lex Luthor. And you are... You can call me Superman. Lex raised an eyebrow. Well, surely you have a name. It couldn't be Superman. Superman will do fine. Well, Mr. Superman, walk with me. Luther led them out to the balcony while he spoke. He had been grasping for some kind of exertion of power over him. Guiding Superman's path was just what he needed. Clark could hear the satisfaction in his voice. First, let me thank you again, face to face, for ensuring that the trade deal was allowed to complete. And thank you for saving all of the hostages, of course. Considering his phrasing, Clark wasn't so sure he liked Luther's priorities. He purposely kept his response neutral yet encouraging, curious to hear where this was all going. Of course, Clark offered as Luther pressed on enthused. But seriously, thank you. Eden Corp is a dangerous terrorist group, and that trade deal was crucial for everyone in the world. In what way? This question caught Lex Luthor by surprise. He clearly did not expect Superman to ask. He had to calculate a response. Trade deals are complicated, my friend. Many ins and outs. Not the kind of thing one can crack into without a team of lawyers, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Luther laughed heartily at his own joke. But that's not why I asked you here. Of course not. Superman forced himself to give a smile. He was truly curious as to why Luther had asked him there. Again, Luther took this as Clark being agreeable. He had guided them back inside and toward the couches and coffee table once more. Excellent. Would you care to sit with me? I'm fine standing. Thank you. But please, feel free to sit, if you like. Luther almost imperceptibly winced as he swept up his glass off the coffee table, as though fetching the drink had been his intent all along. He kept guiding Superman as he spoke, walking around the room and back out onto the balcony. Luther's voice became the faintest bit more tense, so imperceptible that Clark doubted whether he had heard it or not. Well then, you see, I was thinking, you and I are two men in the world who help people. I pretty much help everyone. But of course, there's only so much help I can offer at a time. Clark could relate to the sentiment. Of course. This ambivalent agreement was enough encouragement to bring Luther to his point. So then, you come work for me, and we can help everyone, especially each other. Excuse me? Clark's skepticism showed across his face, immediately sending Luther into damage control. Perhaps I misspoke. I want to offer you a job. A job where we help people together, you and I. Helping like no one else can. There are things I need doing that a man like you would have no problem with. And though a man of your power probably doesn't need money, 
I can provide you with resources, ores, raw materials, women. Clark had no idea what direction this conversation had taken. It was truly bewildering, but he kept it to himself. He hoped to leave as soon as it wouldn't be too rude to do so. No, that's okay. I'm fine. He said this with the same tone and hand gesture as refusing a drink. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Or is that all? Luther's entire demeanor changed. His voice became measurably stern. This isn't a job offer I just give to anyone. Join me, and this can work out very well for you, Superman. Clark took another step back. You can keep your job, Mr. Luther. I'm just going to keep helping people on my own. Before Luther could object, Superman took flight, back into the metropolis night sky. Clark had no idea what he had just experienced. Luther was far worse than Lois made him out to be. He wished he could talk to her about it. Clark imagined she would have a pretty funny take on the whole thing. Unfortunately, this conversation had been between Superman and Lex Luthor. It was nothing Clark Kent could casually mention to Lois Lane. Even if he could talk to her about it, he didn't get to see Lois or Jimmy much over the next few weeks. Jimmy was busy receiving new accolades for his photography. Lois, meanwhile, relished in multiple front-page story bylines by always being out of the office investigating her next story. Clark missed their company, but he had his own new avenues to explore. With the ability of flight, he could cover the city in minutes. Just knowing he was capable of it drove him to use all of his spare time helping as many people as he could, flying to and fro. He took joy in his ability to fly and found as much satisfaction from helping those in need, including animals, big and small. If he heard a cry for help from anyone, anywhere, he didn't have it in him to refuse helping a single one of them, not even a few cats stuck in trees. Flying around as Superman was such fun, Clark felt a bit indulgent doing it. He still believed in the power of being a reporter, and though it wasn't as glamorous, it needed being done. Power doesn't report on itself. Ron Trapp had many sayings like these. He was keeping Clark busy investigating. More than anything else, he turned Clark toward investigating his own stories. I'm teaching you how to fish, Kent. We're gonna make a reporter out of you yet. Trapp had Clark looking over records from his former property managers, the ones he had written about, who were then prosecuted and replaced. What you do is you look for the fallout. Find employees that quit right after your article broke. That's your lead. Follow that. Clark did exactly as Ron advised and found someone, a private contractor who had broken off from the company, just as Ron described. He was a bit reluctant to talk, even after Clark's many assurances. Ron instructed Clark not to pressure his informants. Play it cool, or he might go on the run. You don't want to make him scared. Just lay back a few days. Clark was fine with this. It gave him ample time to don his cape and fly through the streets of Metropolis. Just seeing Superman made drivers want to use their turning signals properly. When traffic didn't notice a small elderly woman attempting to cross the street, they certainly couldn't miss it when a glowing man in a red cape landed beside her to walk her across. Clark spent so much time out of the office that only by reading the Daily Planet did he learn that the President of the United States was asking to speak to Superman. Earlier that same morning, Clark had gotten a message from his informant. They were still reluctant, but still considering talking. Clark decided he would reach out to them after responding to the President. He left Luther waiting to meet with him for a week, but dare not make the leader of the nation wait any longer than he had to. Superman arrived at the White House later that day and was met by the press secretary. She was a straight-to-business type, with short, cropped blonde hair and a narrow mouth that appeared to rarely smile. She spoke as though she were bored. Superman, so glad you made it. I'm Secretary Harcourt. Welcome. Thank you. 
I understand the president wants to see me? Harcourt was unfazed. Yes, so here's how this works. The president wants to give you a medal of honor, but it is all happening tomorrow, and you need to free up your whole schedule for the day. Are we clear? Uh, yeah. All right then, I'll leave the details to my aides. She pivoted away and her assistants took over, providing Superman with the time and location of the reception the following day. Harcourt's assistants were equally dry in their personalities. If there's anyone you want present in the audience, they need to be here no later than 8 a.m. Yeah, okay, got it. 8 a.m. But you won't need to be here until 0900. 9 o'clock. Check. Clark heard himself repeat back the details, though it all felt amiss. He wondered if this was all appropriate, doubting his apartment would be the place for a Medal of Honor. Leaving the White House, Clark flew back to the farm to have dinner with the Kents. Both Martha and Jonathan were absolutely adamant. Jonathan saw it as a kind of responsibility. We are talking about a Medal of Honor from the President of the country. Of course you should do it. Oh, please do, Clark. We could add the medal to our collection and it would look lovely in the dining room. Oh, it'll be so wonderful. I wish we could watch you receive the medal. I know. I wish you could be there too. Clark agreed. Jonathan spoke up, seeing the two of them starry-eyed. He didn't want them trying to come up with a plan. I think we all know this is an honor for Superman and doesn't need to have anything to do with Clark Kent. It was a hard point to argue against. As expected, Jonathan and Martha would watch the event on the news from their living room. Clark didn't think they missed much. The reception itself was anticlimactic, followed immediately by a press conference. Clark felt a little foolish that he hadn't seen it coming that journalists in DC would have many questions for him. They started out with easy ones. At the Trade Center. Were you scared? Not at all. Were you injured at all? Nope. How strong are you and how fast? I don't think I rightly know. There aren't a lot of opportunities to find out. This answer got a round of chuckles. Some questions were trickier to navigate. He tried to always be truthful, but there was only so much he could reveal about himself. Where do you come from? Oh, I'm just an American boy. I grew up here like you all. His accent almost slipped out. How did you gain your powers? Oh, I was just born with them. Lucky kid. The reporter joke got another wave of laughter. Clark was glad Secretary Harcourt ended the questions there. She ushered him out of the press room and directly to the Oval Office, where the President awaited. To Clark's surprise, it appeared the entire event was a cover for this meeting. They had a secret mission for Superman. A short, stout, dark-skinned woman with military-cropped hair by the name of Amanda Waller was clearly in charge. The President began breaking the situation down for Superman, but Waller interjected whenever he strayed off script. An experimental submarine was stranded, and the crew had only days of life support left. They needed Superman's help to lift them off the seafloor before they ran out of air, assuming the sub wasn't discovered by hostile forces first. Clark had never done anything at all like this. He would have to fly halfway around the world to even get to the submarine. Before that day, the furthest he had ever flown was to Smallville and back. Worse still, he was being expected to lift a submarine from the ocean floor. Clark had never been in the ocean before, or tried to lift anything so large. Feeling completely out of his depth, he agreed to help nonetheless. Once Superman had volunteered, the mood in the room dramatically shifted. The lights were dimmed and a projection screen lowered. On it displayed a detailed presentation featuring the submarine's experimental nature, its longitudinal and latitudinal coordinates, the expected underwater topography, and the geopolitics of the region. Clark had not been expecting so much new information all at once. Before he knew it, he was issued a handheld submersible GPS 
and as quickly as the debriefing started, they all saluted him and the room began to clear. Clark stood still for a moment, unsure of what he was supposed to do. A young staff member checked in. Do you need anything, Mr. Superman, sir? Uh, yeah, um, what's your name, miss? The aide swayed a moment, taken aback by Superman's eyes and smile. She took a breath and centered herself. Oh, I'm Etta. Etta Candy? Well, Miss Candy, uh, this is a bit embarrassing, but could you give me those coordinates again? Etta did better than Clark asked and went so far as to program the coordinates into the device, both for the location of the submarine and his drop-off point. With a coy smile, she handed it back to him. The GPS device made his flight to the South Pacific remarkably easier than he had imagined. Though upon arriving at the coordinates given, Clark wondered if he had followed them correctly. There was nothing in sight but water stretching across the horizon all around him. He took a great breath and dove into the water below. Plunging into the depths, he tried to swim as he had in the mountain rivers of Canada, but the salty seawater made him more buoyant. Clark pushed himself downward as though he were flying through water, yet it was thicker than air and slowed his passage. Sure enough, he came eventually to the ocean floor. The ocean tides had pushed him far off from his target. Thankfully, the topography portion of the presentation proved useful. Clark recognized where he was and had no trouble finding the submarine, precisely where he had been told it would be. All that was left for him to do was to lift this skyscraper-sized object from the seafloor. It baffled Clark that anyone thought he could do this, but he was up for the challenge. He figured it was simply a matter of leverage. Crawling underneath the middle of the submarine, he gently pushed up against it and found it rose with surprising ease. Steadily upward, he carried the vessel, doing his best to keep it even. Breaching the surface and rising into the air, the submarine was suddenly heavier without the water's buoyancy. Clark lurched for a moment, and though he recovered, he felt badly for everyone inside who had been jostled. Surely, he suspected, they were all eager to get out. It would be a long while before they would be able to evacuate themselves. Clark was unsure which way he was supposed to go. By holding the submarine over his head with both arms, he was unable to reach the GPS device hanging from his wrist by its strap. For a while, he tried guessing which way to fly, but he wasn't confident and didn't travel in any direction for long. It felt as though he was quickly getting nowhere. All the while, life support inside the submarine was slowly depleting. Clark hung in the air, submarine overhead, unsure what he was supposed to do, when an unusual plan occurred to him. He rolled into a ball, pulling his legs up and pressing his feet against the bottom of the submarine. Superman then stood tall, upside down, holding the submarine with his feet. Having freed his hands, he was able to soon select the next destination from the GPS. In all the time he had been lost, he had truly made no progress from where he had started. Once he found his bearings once more, Clark took the sub back into his hands and flew it to the rendezvous point. He arrived at the site in the midst of a modest tropical storm. After setting the submarine down and helping the evacuation commence, a man in a long dark raincoat approached him. He spoke loudly over the storm. I just wanted to thank you personally. The man took Superman's hand aggressively into a handshake and looked up from under his hood. It was Lex Luthor. I was worried we had lost that sub. It's a very special prototype, but I'm glad I knew someone who could ask you to lift it off the ocean floor for me. <laughs> Luther again laughed at his own joke with zeal. But thanks, Superman. So glad you're a team player. Lex took delight in Superman having to help him against his will. Superman scrutinized Luther. This is your submarine? Well, not technically, but yes. 
Some things I think up don't actually have my name on them, if you know what I mean. Now, if you'll excuse me, Superman, I have to get my people on top of repairing this. I imagine I'll see you next time I find something for you to do. Maybe you can help us carry this beauty back into the sea when we solve whatever the problem is. Luther walked off, nonchalantly chuckling to himself. Watching him go, Clark felt manipulated and used. He looked down at the GPS he had been given and noticed the LexCorp insignia on its side. Letting the device fall to the ground, he wanted nothing to do with it. Clark flew back to Metropolis on his own. As he made his way home, it was much harder than he expected without the GPS. Being lost for most of the flight gave him plenty of time to wonder. What international conflict had he just participated in? It was dawning on Clark that he was in well over his head. Just to keep from getting lost on a regular basis, he had to practice navigating the globe. The next day, when he made his way back to the Daily Planet, three days had passed since the President's invitation to the White House. Attempting to pick up his work where he had left off wasn't an option. Clark's informant, the private contractor, had gone missing. Hearing this news, Ron's face paled, but he tried to assure Clark to trust in the process. This is just another line to follow, Kent. They always lead to bigger fish. Keep following the line. It always leads somewhere. You'll see. Clark wasn't so sure Ron believed this. It half sounds like you're trying to convince yourself. Maybe, but a part of being a reporter is believing there's a story out there waiting to be told. Clark didn't know much about his informant, only what he could gather from his contact information. When he found his former home, the man had no relationships and his neighbors knew nothing about him. His thread seemed to end altogether. In the meanwhile, as Superman, Clark did all he could to stay out of Luther's reach. He made it a part of his daily ritual to fly somewhere distant in the world. The only way to learn to navigate the globe without Luther's GPS was through experience. Visiting faraway countries, Clark found there was a need for him all around the world, though what that need was wasn't always immediately apparent. Many villages he traveled through had no obvious use for a super-powerful man, but they welcomed help. Clark often found himself just doing basic farm work, though when he did, he accomplished far more than anyone would have imagined possible. Sometimes he literally built bridges connecting communities. Other times, he broke down dams to restore rivers. Countries began putting out general requests for Superman to visit. Clark kept an ever-growing list of them that he checked off each day. Many times, a country's government wanted him to take out their enemies. For these nations, he would ask them to do better and offer mediation. When they agreed, he would visit their adversary and initiate peace talks. These moments were rare, but they gave Clark hope. He hoped he was making Jarrell proud. Superman's international heroics were only a part of his day. Besides his time in the office, he made sure to spend another part of each day in Metropolis. He cherished being of service to his city, yet Clark had become apprehensive about flying by LexCorp Tower. He didn't want Luther to think Superman was around to do his bidding, but Luther was inescapable. LexCorp's reach around the world was becoming ever apparent to Clark. On two separate occasions, after responding to requests of distress, he was met with this stark reality. In one incident, after helping a city move a hospital, in another, where he diverted a volcano's flow of lava from destroying a small town, Clark was dismayed to be greeted and personally thanked yet again by Lex Luthor. There was a clear satisfaction that Luthor took from reminding Superman that he was at his own disposal. It grated on Clark to think it was true. He was brooding about Luthor well into the winter holidays, even when Jonathan Kent began their Christmas dinner prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for this meal. The blessing of this food is a gift you give to us, and in turn, we seek to give to our fellow brothers and sisters. The time we have to share in this meal is in itself a blessing. In turn, we seek to give the best of ourselves to each other. We seek to forgive ourselves and forgive one another. Forgive us, Lord, as we stumble along the way. Amen. The prayer had struck a chord in Clark well past the holidays. He reminded himself of what Luther had said months ago, back at LexCorp Tower. Perhaps it was true. Working together, they could help more people. Clark had to admit, every mission he had done with LexCorp was thoroughly well-planned. Superman had always received the best support from Lex's people. Was his prejudice towards Luther's odd mannerisms the problem? One night, as he flew back to Metropolis along the coastline, Clark began to let himself speculate on what he and Lex might accomplish together. He was snapped out of his musing when he heard a cry for help from the city below. His mind had been wandering. Not fully aware of which city he was in, Clark honed in on the location the scream had rung out from. Descending, a glow in the night sky, he spotted the would-be victim on the rooftop. Yet just as Clark spotted him, he witnessed a shadow suddenly become alive and engulf the screaming man. It was unreal, somehow inhuman. Clark stopped in midair, hovering adjacent to the top of the building. The shadow stood up and turned around to reveal it had apprehended the man. It was only then that Superman realized he was in Gotham. This was the Batman. The dark figure spoke to him with a hardened voice. You're not needed here. I heard a scream. Of course you did. This man is a criminal and a coward. He's frightened of me. And how's that working out for you? It looks like he's passed out. I had to sedate him when you arrived. My effect is more dramatic in the dark. You're just too bright. Sorry about that. I, uh, just trying to help. Like I said, you're not needed here. I'm sure Luther could use your help somewhere. Why don't you go play fetch for him? Clark was stunned at this dismissal. He looked intently through Batman's mask and was surprised to see the face of the young billionaire, Bruce Wayne. Of all of the people in Gotham, this was the last he would have suspected of being the Batman. Wayne's reputation for drug abuse and partying on yachts didn't add up with crime fighting. I don't know where you get the idea that I work for Luther, but you are sorely misinformed. This is bigger than whatever game a rich kid in a scary costume is playing at. You think I'm misinformed, Kryptonian? You're the one that has no idea what game you're playing at. Have no doubt, Luther knows where you come from. He knows what you are, and he has you wrapped around his finger. Look at any one of those people down below you. You're only a little more informed than any of them. Batman gestured to the street below. Superman looked down to see his presence had gathered a small crowd gawking upward. When he looked back to Batman, the cape vigilante had disappeared back into the shadows, taking the bound man with him without a sound. As Clark continued his flight home to Metropolis, he felt astonished by his meeting with the Batman. How did he and Luther know about Krypton? And what game was Luther playing at? Just like Rhonda taught him, Clark had a new line to follow. Yet simultaneously, another curiosity nagged at him after seeing the Batman in action. It was a line of questions that had no simple answers. Clark wondered, if Bruce Wayne could be Batman, just how much was the rest of humanity capable of?
Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Son of El is written and produced by myself. I hope you're enjoying the story and are recommending it to friends. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. With additional contributions by Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, Bill Finger, and Bob Kane. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by Poddington Bear, Mellow C, David Hillowitz, Vortex, Tortu Supersonic, Spectacular Sound Productions, Chad Crouch, Blue Dot Sessions, Kai Engel, Ann Van Schothors, Zylo Zico, Siddhartha Corsis, and Abstract Nostalgic Fractal Systems. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of OmenQuest cards at omenquestcards.com. Bolster your friendships with these subtle conversation prompts. And be sure to listen to the next episode. Chapter 6, Mr. Mixelplick. <laughs>